Hey, hey, uh, don't adjust your eyes. My, uh, my hair is different. I'm a different person. Uh, uh, the, you know, I've heard already a few Samson jokes today. There were no muscles to lose. So, you know, um, I, and I'm also bragging on myself today. You know, some of us also already ran a half marathon and we've got a sticker to do it. And um, so uh, the funny thing is, is, is Tim and I ran it and I, I immediately told Sheena, I will never do this again. By Thursday, Tim and I signed up for another one. So it's, uh, we're stupid. Uh, we're not smart people. Uh, hey, we want to celebrate today a milestone. Uh, yesterday, I believe, was Miss Mildred's 93rd birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. We love you, Miss Mildred, and we're thankful that you're here, and we hope we get to continue to celebrate many more with you. So over the last few weeks, we've been in this series uh, where Chris has been trying to provide some wisdom for whatever comes next, right? We have a group of high school seniors. We have some college graduates. Uh, we have a number of different things going on in our lives, the job changes. Some of you have gotten some promotions recently. Uh, some of you maybe moved houses. Some of you are new to the area. You've made big moves. Uh, some of you I know have moved basically all the way across the country in the last uh, year or so. Um, some of you have had children. Uh, some of you have lost loved ones. Um, but a plethora of change has happened in many of our lives. And so Chris has spent the last few weeks trying to speak some wisdom into that because life is full of the unexpected, right? Uh, there's lots of unexpected that we face in life. Uh, and so it's good to, to go to, uh, to, to, to the Bible and scripture and, and look for wisdom and, and encourage one another for whatever happens next. So this morning we're gonna kind of continue on that idea and down that path. Uh, but I want us to start and wrestle with this idea this morning. Um, what do we do when we really don't know what to do? Right? Let's be honest for a minute. We can be honest in church, right? Is that okay? Let's be honest. I think this is a safe space. I think this is a place where we can be vulnerable. We can let our guard down, and we can talk about some uncomfortable truths about life. The truth is nobody really knows what to do next. We're all just doing our best to figure out this thing called life in real time, right? I know that some of us, we, 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 we make our plans, we, we analyze the data, we, we think long and hard about options, we consult friends and family, uh, we, we make pros and cons lists, if that's the kind of person that you are. We pray for guidance and we pray for wisdom. Well, and, I, and I guess maybe I shouldn't say we don't really know what to do, because some of us uh, always know what to do, right? I know who some of you are. You always know exactly what to do. Um, or maybe you have that friend who always unsolicited advice and tells you exactly what you need to be doing. Um, but maybe it's not that we don't know what to do, but we don't really know what happens next. Because we really don't. We don't know what happens next, despite all of our plans, despite all of the things that we uh, think about and make plans for. And I, I wish somebody would have told me that uh, when I was younger, that nobody really knows what will happen, uh, that no matter how well thought out or how well planned everything is, when life starts to really happen, we never really know what's going to happen. You know, when I was younger, I believed that all the adults, all the grown-ups, all the real adults, I still think many of you are real adults and I'm not. Um, so you're gonna have to help me here. 
but I thought that there was a secret map, this like detailed Google Maps kind of thing, or at the very least, like a Lego kind of um, uh, uh, instruction guide. If you, I don't think my remote's working, Craig, so you're gonna probably have to help me here today. Um, I have a picture. Oh, it's not long, come on. There we go, yes. Um, like this, right? Life is like this, like a step-by-step -step Lego guide. Like I really thought when I was younger, like my parents, had this guide, this, this like Lego instructions to do everything exactly right. Um, you know, when I have a big decision, do I, 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 they go to their closet and they open it up secretly and they look at it and it says, okay, on this day, I'm supposed to do this, make this decision, good. We go back and they go back in the closet and they make the decision. And as a kid, you're just like, all right, they made the decision, no, no big deal. You know, and, and I thought that's the way it was. Do I take this job? Do I marry this person? Do I move my family? To another state, do I buy this house, this car, this whatever it may be? And, and we, we, we go and we, we figure it out. And I thought, you know, maybe when I'm 21, I'm going to get that. Didn't happen. Okay, maybe when I graduate college, it's going to be like hidden in my diploma somewhere. I don't have to like get out special glasses and find it. That didn't happen either. Uh, maybe it's when I pay off college. Maybe that's when it comes. I don't know. Um, Maybe it's when you get married, like the preacher, you know, takes you in the back um, and was like, all right, here's the secret book that everybody gets. Uh, maybe that's when it happens. Or maybe when you rent your first car at 25, it's like hidden in the glove compartment somewhere, and that's why you can't rent a car until you're 25. I don't know, but it, I was just waiting for it. So it, listen, if some of you have this book and I don't have it, this like map somewhere, just slide the phone number under my door, my office, just do that, help me out. But that's not the way life really is, right? There is no secret detailed map, no Lego life instructions to get you through things. But here is that truth again. Because there is no thing, we have to figure out how to handle life on our own. We have to do this in real time. So what I've noticed is that because of that, many of us have adopted this kind of, uh, this game show mentality. Uh, this game show mentality, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it, three doors, right? You've seen it on TV, you've seen it in movies. What's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three? And we, we, we adopt this, and you don't know that you're playing this, but this is what the game that you're playing. This game show three-door mentality. What's behind these things? Because on, behind one of them is a man-eating badger. Behind the other is a recording of a toddler screaming that you now have to play at bedtime every night. Good luck with that. And behind the other one is everything goes well and smoothly and your marriage and your jobs and your children and your family and your life, everything will work out the way that you want them to happen. So what's it gonna be? Because you better choose wisely. What's it going to be? But then we panic. You have all your people behind you who are like, door number one. No, 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 door number three. Door number two. And then suddenly a huge timer drops out of the sky and there's 10 seconds left. And if you don't make the choice, everything in your life is going to blow up in your face. And it starts to count down. 10, 9, 8. Hurry up. 7. You better choose now. 6. Don't be wrong, five, because you can't mess it up, four. Because if you mess it up, everything in your life is gonna go just straight down the tubes 
two, and then you're like, where'd three go? One, and we choose and we panic, and we have to pick now, and we choose a door, one, two, or three, and we hope, we just hope that we got it right, and we'll find out later, I guess. A choice set before you, and if you haven't experienced this yet, I think you will at some point. Some of us nodding our heads, we're like, I've been there, done that. A choice set before you, and you may have all the insight, knowledge in the world to make an educated, make an educated choice so that the panic is dialed down just a little bit, but you really never know what is behind door number three. So if you will, let's open our Bibles today and let's talk about some things. Uh, Exodus chapter 14 is where we're going to start. So if you've got your scriptures, uh, your phones, whatever it be, may be, open up Exodus chapter 14 is where we're going to go, because we're going to look at uh, and spend some time looking at the people of God's journey as they experience this feeling of not knowing what happens next. So the story up to this point about the Hebrew people, the Israelites, uh, Father Abraham, you know from the song, uh, his, his family has lots of children. Uh, he, uh, they've sold one of them, uh, you know, Jacob, and then, and then his children, they've sold one of the, the brothers, Joseph, into slavery. Uh, he ends up in Egypt. Uh, Things are, are kind of an interesting story. You can read about it yourself. Uh, but things uh, eventually end up where Joseph's family and, and all of their people, they end up in Egypt, right? And over time, they really take seriously that be fruitful and multiply command. And they, they multiply like rabbits, and there's countless number of them. And this makes Egypt worry. They're fearful. They're scared. So the Pharaoh in his uh, intelligent brain, he's like, let's kill all the baby boys. That seems like a reasonable thing to do. And so he does that. He starts to go out and kill the baby boys. And this is a sermon for another time, but in the midst of that, Moses is born. We know Moses, right? We've heard of him. Moses is born and he's put into this little baby ark to save him. You know, the biblical authors are super smart and what they want you to do, uh, that word there, we say basket, but it's the word ark because what they want you to think of is the, the promises of God and how God's about to do some big things. And so they use this word ark because they want you to think about the la another time that God did something big through a guy named Noah. But he's born, he's put into this little baby ark and he's rescued. He grows up in Pharaoh's house. He eventually leaves because there's a murder. He wanders the deserts, becomes a shepherd, gets mar married, talks to a burning bush, you know, just a casual Tuesday. And then he learns God's personal name. And it's from there that God calls him, Yahweh calls him to free his people. And so 10 plagues later, the people are on their way out of Egypt. Again, this is an amazing story and I'm not doing it justice right now. Go read about it. You know, last month, uh, Stephen and Garrett and I, we, we talked about Exodus a lot in a podcast, EB Life, shout out. Um, and Garrett and Melissa had also spent many, many months in their podcast growing deeper, talking about Exodus and breaking down all this stuff. So go look it up. It's on our website, uh, eastbrainchurch.org slash podcast. Um, but I want to get us to this point, Exodus chapter 14, the crossing of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. Uh, that's another sermon for another time as well. But what happens is Yahweh has told Moses to have his people camp out on the shores. And this is what happens next. Starting in verse uh, 3, uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the 
the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. You see, Yahweh has been in this battle so far with the Egyptian god king, as well as the, uh, all the other Egyptian gods that existed in their minds. And Yahweh has been successful so far with each god, humiliating them and proving his power over creation time and time again. But he has one more god to humiliate, and that's Pharaoh himself. So he strengthens his resolve. That's what it meant for his heart to be hardened. He wants Pharaoh at full strength for what happens next, because this is going to be the ultimate embarrassment next for him as well. Because Pharaoh has been asking this question since the beginning, this is what started all this mess with Pharaoh and ten plagues, because Pharaoh asked this question, who is this God, Yahweh, that I should obey and listen? And Yahweh is about to prove it one more time, give him that final answer. So what happens next, and this is where I want us to key in because I think it sets the stage for the next few chapters, what the Israelites are going to do when they don't know what happens next. So Pharaoh gathers his armies, pursues the people. He will either bring them back to Egypt or kill them because he has to restore his name and his pride as the Egyptian God King. So verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there was the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? They're a grateful bunch, right? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And this is the theme that's going to be over the next few plot points in the story. The Israelites don't know what to do because they don't know what's happening next, so they panic. Behind door number one is death. Right here and right now, the Pharaoh will just kill us. Behind door number two, we can go back. And we just say we're sorry, and we'll go back to making pyramids and other things. Or number three, as they look at the sea, we can drown to death. So what's it going to be? What's our choice going to be? The clock is ticking. They don't know what's going to happen next, so they want to go back. They, they're like, door number two, door number two. That's what we choose because we want to go back. And Moses, he's the responsible man of faith. He says this next, starting verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today for the Egyptian whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and will only, if you will only keep still. Moses is basically like, be cool, just chill, relax. God's got this. We know that guy too, right? That person in our life, who no matter what's going on, they're always like, eh, just relax. It's cool, watch some TV. Whatever will be, will be, right? Just relax. So Moses is trying to provide some encouragement and apparently he's going to go to God about this. He's going to approach Yahweh about this. And what's interesting is what happens next. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you even cry out to me? Why? Tell the Israelites to go forward. God seems to know what's behind the doors. He seems to see a path that they don't see. Why are you 
waiting? Why are you standing here? There's a perfectly good path right in front of you, Israelites. Just go. Just get going. Move. And you have to believe in their mind. They're like, path? What are you talking about? The ocean, the sea is right there. What are you talking about? How are we supposed to move forward? Door number three is drowning. You can't be serious. But God is very serious, and he tells Moses this. Verse 16, but lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. And that's the same word for spirit, because this, is, again, is a callback to the creation story where God's spirit, his wind, parts the chaos waters. So he, so he breathes in the strong east wind all night and long, turned the sea into dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground and the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. And it's this amazing picture. If we've ever seen the movies, it's this amazing picture. And I'm sure it's more spectacular or was more spectacular than even those do it justice. And they walk across the dry land. They cross. Eventually the waters are put back over the Egyptian army and Yahweh claims another victory over the Egyptian gods and their God king. First, uh, chapter 15, Moses is going to sing a song because that's what you do after you cross the ocean on dry ground. You sing a song. Uh, and then his prophet sister is going to get out her tambourine and she's going to sing a song. You know, they're a musical family, apparently. But then what happens is most of us skip on to Sinai. We all skip to Sinai. We jump straight to the Ten Commandments, and we're like, yay. But what we're going to see happen next are three back-to-back -back stories about the fears of not knowing what happens next. So in chapter 15, the Israelites find themselves coming to a watering hole that the water is bitter. They can't drink it, and they panic. Exodus 15, 26. He said, if you listen, oh, excuse me, uh, 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Problem solved. Problem solved. And what's going to happen is Moses is going to remind them that God's going to take care of them. He's going to tell them. He's going to give them some encouragement. So the next verse uh, uh, 26. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give heed to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that, brought upon, that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Good job, Moses. Give them some encouragement. Remind them that God is who he says he is and he's going to take care of them. But it doesn't last long. The very next chapter story, chapter 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in, uh, in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So God goes, or Moses goes to God and is like, what do I do with these people? And God's good. And God says, well, you know, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. And they're to pick it up 
every day and it'll be enough. And then on the sixth day, they pick up enough for that day and for the seventh day because that is the day that they rest. And there's some really neat, amazing Sabbath principles and practice that get talked about in this chapter. But it's not long till they forget again. It's not long till they start to panic because they don't know what happens next. So in the next chapter, chapter 17, it's like a broken record with these guys. They just don't get it. So they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do for this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I'll be standing there in front of, of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So we have these stories. We have these back-to-back stories right after what we see happen at the, the sea. We have these back-to-back stories where God has done amazing things. They've seen ten amazing things in Egypt They've seen an entire army drowned by the sea that they just walked across as dry land. They've had a piece of wood thrown into water and turned into good water. They've had bread literally fall out of the sky and little birds for them to eat as well just magically appear. And they still don't get it because they still don't know what happens next. They're thirsty and they are hungry They have no clue what is going to happen next because Moses doesn't lay out Google Maps for them. He doesn't have that for them. He doesn't have a Lego instruction booklet for them to say, we're going to do this, 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 and so forth and so on. There is no step-by-step plan for what happens next. So there's a test that's happening. Moses calls it At one point, it's the Israelites testing God, and it's frustrating to him. But what is really happening is Moses, or God, is testing his people. Yahweh has begun to put Israel through a test because he wants to know if these people will really be willing to trust him, to follow him, to be his people as he is their God, no matter what happens next. And I know that we don't really like the idea of God testing us, because then we think he's maybe playing with us and it's not fair. But that's not what's going on here. God is shaping them. God is forming them into what they could be and what they should be. God is shaping them and forming them into a royal priesthood of a nation to represent the way of Yahweh to the world. To restore an Eden-like presence on this earth for Yahweh. So that he may dwell near to them and they may be in his presence as it was meant to be. But this is going to take some work, and it's going to take some time. In her book, uh, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, author Carmen Joy Imes, she talks about this being the place of becoming for the Israelites. 
The journey that they face and not knowing what happens next is an exercise in learning who Yahweh is and who they will become. Carmen Joy Imes talks about this as liminal space, the space between. We know what liminal space is. If you've never heard that word, I'm going to tell you what it means. Liminal or lemon, uh, not, the, not the fruit, L-I-M-E-N, means threshold, like a doorway. When you walk through a threshold, when you walk through a doorway, you're going from one place to the other. But as you cross through that threshold, when you're in the middle, you're neither in the room you were in nor the room you're going into. You're not where you're going and you're not where you were. Liminal space may be brief in that moment, but it exists. Think about an airport. An airport is liminal space. No one lives there, but we pass through going from one place to another. Imes, in her book, she uses a wedding ceremony as an illustration of liminal space. She says, during the ceremony, the couple is neither married nor unmarried. They wear symbolic clothes and explore other symbols of their new life together. Rings, candles, vows, a kiss. The congregation witnesses their change of status as the minister pronounces them husband and wife and welcomes them to rejoin the community with a new identity. Now, you may have never known that there was this term for this in-between space, this liminal space, but that is, I think, where we often find ourselves. There's always another door in front of us that we have to pick and choose to walk through. There's always another choice to make. We're always finding ourselves in this space, not fully aware of what will happen on the other side. So for the Israelites, this liminal space is the wilderness. It is their site and place of becoming. It is what they need as they learn what God is asking of them. But it's going to be hard, and it's going to be a challenge, and it's not without worry and anxiety. Not knowing what is going to happen seems to create that, right? Worry and fear and anxiety. Liminal spaces like the, the wilderness create those moments. So a promise like the one that Moses gives that God's going to take care of you and everything's going to be okay is sometimes not helpful to us in those moments. We struggle still when someone comes up and says, hey, it's going to be okay. And we're just like, are you sure? How do you know? How do you know that behind door number two is not something bad waiting for me? How do you know? Because no matter how much we can be rest assured, like Moses does for the Israelites, we never really know. It's hard to hear, just wait and see, and everything is going to be all right. So we see that in the Israelite response. They have seen Yahweh do incredible things, but they just can't see what happens next, so they worry, and fear creeps in. Aim says this in her book, Hunger and thirst and fear are powerful masters. These days, so is a lack of internet access, right? Yahweh knows this. Remarkably, he does not chide the Israelites when they complain or panic as they travel toward Sinai. He simply provided for their needs. He utilizes this trek to demonstrate to them his trustworthiness. A little bit later, she's going to say, trust is not automatic. And God does not expect it to be. He patiently works on Israel's behalf until they can see that he is worthy of their confidence. He has work to do in the Israelites. 
that, only, that can only be done in a state of dislocation, in a state of liminal space. So in 2014, Sheena and I, we packed up our house and our home and we packed up a two and a half year old Maddox and a five year old Colin and we moved away from parents and grandparents and a church that raised us. And we moved to a town that we had never been in and a place we had never done anything but pass through and heard about sticky fingers and doesn't even exist anymore. Um, we moved here to be with a bunch of people we had no idea who they were and what they were about. We had no clue what would happen next and we had no idea what each day would bring, but we went and we moved here. Now I'd be lying to say I wasn't scared to death. I was worried, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Because in Pensacola we were comfortable. We had everything we needed and everything we knew there. But I'd also be lying if I used words like God called us here. Because I don't think that's the way I see things and how maybe that works. I can talk more about that in another time, but I think we could have easily stayed in Florida. And I think God would have continued to use us, to bless us in ministry. And things would have been great. And things would have been wonderful. And we have seen fruits from that. I don't think it was about making a right or a wrong decision in that moment. It wasn't a choose to go or choose to stay. It wasn't a door number two or door number three moment. That's not the way I try to process things. The choice was what I trust that God was on the other side of the door no matter which one I chose. What I, ch what I believe that he is present no matter which one I choose. Could I trust that God is good and that God would provide for us and that whatever we did would be to honor him? Whatever we did, whatever choice we made, stay or go, we would choose to honor him. We could have come here and things could have been very bad. Things could have gone poorly. You're a bunch of Tennessee and Georgia fans, right? I kid. But things could have been very difficult. And even if it was, does that mean that I lose my faith in the goodness of Yahweh? No, it doesn't. Recently, I've changed roles here at East Brainerd, and again, a choice set before me. I could have continued to be the youth minister, and I think God would have used that and blessed that. And uh, there was no special burning bush moment for me. God saying, you need to do this or that. I just felt like it was the right thing to do in my stage of life and where I'm at. And guess what? God is here. God is here in this moment for me. He's on the other side of that decision. I didn't know how moving here would work out, but we moved through that liminal space, through that transition, trusting that God would be on the other side when we got there. I don't know what's going to happen in my new role because I, I just don't. But I'm going to trust and I'm going to move through that liminal space of becoming and trust that God is showing me along the way. So I read these stories, I read these accounts of the people of God in the Exodus story and the way that they struggle through these tests and they complain and they argue and they quarrel, which has to mean to me that God, somebody took, a, took a, a swing at Moses, right? Somebody did. It was like, go here, Moses, I'll get you. It was not easy, but Yahweh is shaping them into the people they need 
to be to trust him. The testing ground of the wilderness journey of the Israelites is the proving of God's faithfulness and his love for his people and the importance that he puts on shaping people through their journeys. So before we go, I have to ask this question. What will we do when we don't know what happens next? I truly believe that God is not in the business of providing those step-by-step Lego instructions to us because he wants us to trust it that he is behind whichever door we choose. We can choose door one, two, or three, and he's there. That doesn't mean that we won't get hungry. It doesn't mean that we won't get thirsty, and it doesn't mean that we won't struggle. There will be hard things, and things will not go our way, right? We will make choices, and we will choose a job that doesn't work out. We'll choose a city to live in, and it's miserable. Not to say that about Chattanooga. Your college choice may not go the way you want it to. Your family relationships may have moments of pain and sorrow. Your life may not go the way that you want it to, no matter how hard you try. We are going to make poor choices, and it's going to affect us. Others will make poor choices, and it's going to affect us. Life will be hard, but Yahweh is there. He is present in the journey. He is present in the chaos. He is present in our complaining and our hunger and even in our thirst. Yahweh is there. He's not at the end of the road. He is on the road along with us for the journey. My prayer for us today is that we see God's presence in this journey, that we believe as we go that God is with us. We will not be consumed by the fears to make the best choices because we're worried that everything will fall apart if we don't. God is with us when we make good choices, surprisingly and amazingly and gratefully, God is with us when we make bad choices and calls us back to him. I believe that God is with us. God walks along this journey with us, reminding us of his goodness, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. He's asking us to love him with everything that we have and to love each other the same way. So before you go, know that God is with us patiently into the unknown. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are good to us. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you walk on this journey with us. And I know as much as anyone that worries and fears creep in and anxiety builds and rises because of the choices that are set before us, Father. But give us hope and peace that you are present with us. Father, you have taken care of your people through, throughout time. And sometimes that's really hard for us to see. We allow our worries and our concerns to not know that you are present. But Father, you are there and you have shown it. And you're taking us on this journey. You're walking us through this path of life. And it's hard, but you're, you're forming us. Like you did your people so long ago. You are forming us and to be who you want us to be, who we could be and who we should be so that heaven on earth exists for your kingdom and for your glory only. We pray that as we go from this place that we will be filled with your spirit and your presence and that as we face choices each and every day, we know that you are present in those. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. As we wrap up today, as we finish up, we're going to sing a song. And if you need anything, if you need to be prayed for, if, you're, um, if, you're, if you want to be baptized, the water, clearly the water's ready. We're excited uh, about that choice today, if that's where you're at. But whatever you need, we're going to stand and sing. And we'll have some elders come up here. Um, you can find one of the staff members. Or if you need something more private, we'll have one of our elders in our prayer room in the back uh, after worship today. So we're going to stand and sing before we close.